0: To the God who heals, we sing to the God who saves, we sing to the God who always fakes away. Cause he hung upon that cross and he rose up from the grave. My God, still rolling stones away. There's joy in the house of the Lord, there's joy in the house of the Lord today, and we won't be quiet we'll shout out your praise there's joy in the house of the lord our god is surely in this place and we won't be quiet we'll shout out your praise we were the beggars now we're royalty we were the prisoners Now we're running free, we are forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. Let's do all that again. For we are the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the prisoners, now we're running free. We are forgiven. Redeemed by His grace The house of the Lord Sing praise There's joy in the house There's joy in the house of the Lord There's joy in the house of the Lord today And we won't be quiet We'll shout out your praise There's joy in the house of the Lord Our God is surely in this place And we won't be quiet. We'll shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. But we won't be quiet. We'll shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We'll shout out your praise. Shout out your praise There's joy in the house There's joy in the house today We'll shout out your praise We'll shout out your praise Joyful, joyful We adore thee God of glory, Lord of love, hearts unfold like clouds before thee. opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of sin and sadness drive the dark of doubt away, giver of immortal gladness, fill us with the stars and angels sing around the center of the broken grave field and forest, vale and mountain, flowery meadow flashing sea chanting bird and flowing fountain, call us to rejoice Our brother, all who live in love, teach us how to love each other, gift us to the joy. we onward, victors in the midst of strife. Joyful music lifts us us onward in the triumph song of life. Joyful music. Joyful music lifts us onward in the triumph song.
1: Pleasant places, indeed. I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your holy ones see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I love that line that says, my whole being rejoices.
0: Who holds the heavens in his
1: hands?
0: Who made the stars by the word of his power? Who put the spirit in man? causes all the earth to cry out glory. Glory Glory to to the Lord, Lord, worship Him, the God of our salvation. Glory to the Lord, honor Him, He reigns and rules the nations. He is righteous and worthy to be worshipped and adored. To the Lord, who holds the righteous by the hand, who is the way, his power, who stirs the heart of a man, and causes all his saints to cry out, glory. Glory to the Lord, honor him. He reigns and rules the nations. He is righteous and worthy to be worshipped and adored. Turn so the voices and give glory to the Lord. And your voices, and let's sing that chorus again. Glory to the Lord, him, the God of our salvation. Glory to the Lord, come and Him. He righteous and worthy to be worshipped and adored.
1: Lord Jesus, it is our great honor to bring you glory. And Lord, as we lift our voices as much as we can, Lord, we can never honor you for all that you're worth. But we thank you that you call us to be part of the chorus that is praising you in all creation. Lord, everything that you have made is praising your great might and your great care for it. And so, Lord, we join creation this morning in lifting your name high. And not only creation, Lord, but we join the church all around the world. Lifting your name, your people that you have called out of the world. And Lord, as as we even talked about in Sunday school this morning, you died for the world, not just those of us who believe right now. And there are so many, Lord, that have yet to understand this, have yet to come to you. Lord, our prayer this morning is for them, that you would be reaching out to the lost, showing yourself, showing your glory, that they could join our ranks and sing the way that they were meant to sing to you. And Lord, this morning, we thank you for your provision. We thank you for your provision for this church. Uh, Throughout the COVID pandemic, you have kept us together, uh, meeting online, and then finally able to come back into the building and to lift our voices as as we've done this morning. Such a blessing that we not take that for granted. And Lord, we look for your provision moving forward. We expect that you will be providing for us because you have shown yourself to be a loving provider. And so, Lord, we look forward in great hope to the changes that you'll make, to the way that you'll lead us through it, Lord, that you'll take our hand and that you'll be gentle and you'll be kind, and you'll bless us way more than we could ever possibly imagine. So, Lord, would you keep that expectant hope in us as your people? Even as we gather and worship and praise this morning, may we be bathed in hope for what you're doing in our midst. We thank you, we worship you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Though troubles assail and dangers affright, though friends should all fail and foes all unite, yet one thing secures us, whatever be time. The scripture assures us, the Lord will provide. The birds without barn or storehouse are fed. From them let us learn to trust for our bread. His saints what is fitting shall ne'er be denied. So long as it's written, the Lord will provide. the ships by tempest be tossed on perilous seas, but cannot be lost. Though Satan enrages the wind and the tide, the promise engages, the Lord will provide. He called, he obeys. More. For though we are strangers, we have a good guide And trust in all dangers the Lord will provide When Satan appears to stop up our path and fill us with fear. We triumph by faith, He cannot take from us, though oft He has tried. This heart shearing promise, the Lord will provide. He tells us where we are, hope is in vain. The good that we see, we measure. This answers all questions the Lord will provide. No strength of our own or goodness we claim, yet since we have known the Savior's great name, in this our strong tower for safety we hide. The Lord is our power. The Lord will provide. When life seems okay And comfort is in view. This word of His grace. Shall comfort us through. more no fearing, or doubting. doubt. Christ on our side. We hope to die shall. Yep. sing of Jesus who died for me. My heart is filled with a thousand songs, proclaiming the glories of Calvary. With every breath, Lord, how I long to sing on Jesus who died
1: pray this morning that you would take us deep into the glories of your cross, that you would show us that you are a providing God and that the way that you provide for us most is our salvation in you and the hope that we have for eternity with you. We praise you, we love you, we thank you. In your name we pray, amen. Let's be seated together.
2: morning's reading is Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give an account so that the king might suffer no loss Then this Daniel became distinguished among all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could not find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault could be found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the holy officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any God or any man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew of the document had been signed, Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house, where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees there three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petitions and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, Pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the laws of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance of the king that the king established can be changed. Then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords and nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him then at the break of the of day the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions and he came near to the den where daniel was he cried out in a tone of anguish the king declared to daniel o daniel servant of the living god has your god whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions then daniel said to the king o king live forever "'My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, "'and they have not harmed me, "'because I was found blameless before him "'and also before you, O king. "'I have done no harm.' "'Then the king was exceedingly glad "'and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. "'So Daniel was taken up out of the den, "'and no kind of harm was found on him "'because he is trusted in his God. "'And the king commanded, "'and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel "'were brought,' and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues, he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who, saved, who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian.
3: Let me open us in prayer, and then we'll take a look at God's word. Uh, Lord, um, we do ask that you would draw us into the deeper, or deeper into the glories of Calvary, Lord, to, to know Christ better, to uh, know the pain and the suffering, the glory, and the forgiveness of his cross. Lord, open our eyes and our hearts to such beautiful things. Father, we want to thank you that Charlotte um, has uh, not had a heart attack, Uh, Lord, that uh, her trip to the hospital was not um, uh, that she might be checked in and and observed, but Lord, that she was sent home. Thank you for that mercy. And we pray that you would be with her cardiologist and and the doctors as they try to discover what is going on. If it's not a heart attack, what is she having? Thank you for having mercy on her and uh, showing compassion to her in that way. Lord, we also want to pray for our next worship leader. Uh, Lord, we know that you have somebody in mind. That you are sovereign over all of these things, and that you appoint people to the positions you want them. And so, Lord, we, uh, as a church, are crying out to you and saying, "Show us, uh, lead us to the next person who who will uh, who will lead us in, in worship every Sunday morning." And uh, we ask for your your blessing and your um, your your leading in that very clearly. And Lord, again, we pray for Calvary EV Free as they'll be going through a transition this fall as well. I pray that uh, Ramey's presence there uh, leading worship will be a blessing to them as it has been to us, and that they will be able to adjust and get used to somebody new up front. And we just pray for the, your blessing on the Cromry family as they go. Uh, Lord, it was uh, distressing to read again another mass shooting today, another one this past week. And uh, Lord, we just are, are reminded continually of the broken, um, disrupted nature of human beings lord that we are so uh, so distorted by sin uh, that uh, as we heard in sunday school this morning we would fracture the image of god that we would come at uh, your image on earth with weapons uh, to destroy it so lord i pray for our nation that you would give us wisdom and guidance and and help us to determine what's causing this lord Uh, what is the problem um, guns are involved, and so a lot of folks want to head right to the issue of weapons. But uh, Lord, it, there's something that's that's operating that gun. There's something behind that, and so Lord, it really is an emotional, a spiritual problem in our nation. And Lord, we know that the ultimate answer, the real answer, doesn't reside in Washington. More legislation is not going to make this go away. Lord, there's one thing that can help curb this violence and that is if you would send your holy spirit on our nation and spark revival lord would you cause people to know you to begin to grow in you to to begin to understand who it is that jesus christ is lord would you prepare your church to receive people to disciple them to teach them to obey everything that you've commanded and uh, lord that's that's the ultimate solution for the violence that we face on a regular basis for the racism for the hatred for the mistrust For the distorted politics lord it's not more politics it's not more legislation lord it's it's more holy spirit and so lord would you send your spirit upon our nation start with me individually start with this church locally and lord would you spill that blessing out into the antelope valley and around our nation we ask lord would you be with us now as we turn to your word help us to see to understand apply your word deep within our hearts cause us to know jesus more and to trust you more fully to hold on to your promises more readily, and to worship you from, uh, with spirit and with truth. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. There are probably a great number of words that we could use to describe the Vietnam War, um, many of them. One that I'd like to just kind of draw our attention to is the word frustration. Um, the, this, the Vietnam War was a real source of frustration for our nation. Uh, many citizens in our nation were opposed to us even being in, in Vietnam, even fighting the war, and so they were frustrated with their government and they were protesting and, and, uh, and, and asking for uh, the end of the war. Uh, Washington itself was totally frustrated with the war because they could never get ahead in it. They were constantly playing catch up in this Vietnam War. This, this should have been an easy one for them. And they could never get it nailed down. But the people who were probably most affected by the Vietnam War, most frustrated with it, were the troops we sent to wage that war. Um, they had severe limitations on what they could do. These rules of engagement really bound their hands as they went to fight this war. And so often they were, they were totally frustrated with the way the war was being prosecuted. And I think you see that most clearly when you consider the air campaign, the, the, the Air Force's engagement in the war. You'd see fighter aircraft loaded with bombs and missiles flying out to attack an area that was heavily defended, lots of surface-to-air missiles. And what was so frustrating for the air campaign was they would fly over these just plum targets that were ripe to be bombed. And they were told, you can't touch those. Low defenses, easy targets, things that should be hit. The pilots were so, yeah, you can't touch that. That's off limits. And so our pilots were extremely frustrated with this as well in the, in the air campaign. Colonel Robin Olds was the commander of the 8th Tactical Fighter Squadron at Uban, uh, Thailand. And in his uh, biography, Fighter Pilot, he sums up this frustration really well. He says, we were all frustrated about the target limitations imposed on us by Washington. Haiphong Harbor near Hanoi was the worst insult of all we should have closed it down blockaded done whatever necessary to keep it from operating but we couldn't touch it ships came in and went bringing in supplies migs trucks ammunition food cement to fix blown bridges you name it the Viet Cong troops received their stuff within days and we were letting it happen i think that gets at that sense of frustration After his tour of duty in Vietnam, Colonel Olds was in Washington D.C. and he had a discussion with the National Security Advisor, Walt Rostow. Rostow had explained to, to Olds the goal of the war. Why were we even in Vietnam to begin with? And he said that we were in Vietnam to contain the communists in the north so that South Korea could engage or could live a life in democracy and freedom. That was the goal. Colonel Olds, assuming this was the end of his Air Force career, but he had just come back from a a long tour of duty in Vietnam. He was not in a really good state of mind to keep his tongue curbed. He, He said, Sir, there is nothing wrong with that objective, only the way we're going about it. We are not destroying the enemy's will or determination. The North is implacable. They are fighting a war to gain control of the whole of Vietnam. If our goal is to stop them, we must destroy their ability to fight, not just deter them. And to do that, we must deny access to the harbor at Haiphong, destroy the bridges along the Chinese border, the ones that were not allowed to hit, and he went on and listed some other strategic targets. Um, Colonel Olds went on to be General Olds and had a, a very successful career. But I think he called it very clearly. What he brought up was to prosecute a war, to win a war, you have to address two things. You have to address your enemy's will and their ability. If you can destroy either one, they will not be able to fight the war. And so those were the two things that were at play. Our fighter pilots, they lacked the ability because of the restrictions Washington had placed on them, but they certainly had the will to prosecute the war. As a matter of fact, there was a side story about uh, some pilots that were sent in to bomb, or to uh, uh, take out some railway uh, lines near another port. And the story was that one of the pilots strafed a Russian ship in in the port and was court-martialed for it. So they had the will, they just lacked the ability because of the, the rules of engagement. Washington, meanwhile, had the ability. We had the forces in place. We had the troops. We had the superiority of weapons. We had the ability to do this. They had the ability. But Washington lacked the will to do it because they were terrified of provoking the Chinese and the Russians. Don't forget, this is in the middle of the Cold War. This is just the height of the Cold War. It had only been a decade or so since we fought in Korea. And Korea turned into this big mess because the Chinese got involved. So China had, or I mean, Washington had the ability to prosecute the war, but they lacked the will for fear of engaging uh, the Chinese in it. Well, in the North Koreans. Uh, or the North Vietnamese rather, as, as General, or Colonel Old said, they had the will, they wanted to take over the entire peninsula, they wanted it all. They wanted to make it all um, uh, uh, communist. But actually, they lacked the ability to do that unless they were being supplied by Russia and China. So this is this wrestling back and forth about will and ability. How do they fit together? How, how does this happen? If you have the will but you lack the ability, you can't do anything. If you have the ability but you lack the will, you won't do anything. So we have to keep those two things in mind, those two things together. And when we look today at Daniel chapter 6 and that famous story of Daniel in the lion's den, what we're going to see in this story is that interplay, that struggle back and forth between will and ability. And so let's let's take a look at the story now. It pleased Darius to set uh, over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. Over them, three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give account, so that the king might not suffer loss." So what happens is Darius has now been installed as the king. He takes over, and he appoints these satraps. Well, satrap was basically, their role was to collect taxes and tribute. They were the, uh, not kings, necessarily. What had been done before was that you would have what were called vassal kings. So once a king was defeated, um, if they towed the line, they could still rule their little area, but they ruled under my authority. And so they came to me, well, uh, the Medes and the Persians got rid of the the captive kings and replaced them with these satraps, these kind of executors or or governors over these areas. And so it says that Darius appointed 120 of them. He appointed a lot. He had a big kingdom to rule. And these guys would take care in these areas. They would, like I said, they would collect taxes and tribute. They would be the ultimate seat of judgment. So if, if something came up, you went to the satrap and said, hey, would you decide this matter for us? And he did that, it says, so that uh, the king might suffer no loss. Well, it wasn't just that that made him suffer no loss. He then put three people above them. One of the translations calls them presidents. Above <laughs> <I> that. <laughs> the presidents under the king, but over the satrap. Um, These would be three leaders of the satraps, and he did that so they wouldn't suffer loss because some of these guys might you know, get a little sticky fingers or deep pockets and hang on to some of that tribute. So he puts them in charge, and then Daniel was one of them. Why? Well, we saw what happened with Daniel. He succeeded in everything he did. God had blessed all of the work that he had done, and so Daniel was put in charge along with two other guys, but, verse three, This Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. So do you remember last week what uh, the, the offer that Belshazzar made for Daniel? Have I got a deal for you? I'll put you as third in charge of the kingdom. And we saw that was because Belshazzar wasn't the king. He was the second in charge. Well, here now Darius is, is firmly established as a king, and it looks like he's going to put him in a position kind of like Joseph in, uh, in Egypt. He's going to make him the second ruler in all of the kingdom. That's his plan. So that's where we're going to go. That's where, where things are happening. So Daniel is in this position where he's about to be elevated. Um, but <laughs> something happens. Verse 4. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find grounds for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. One of the things about, about bureaucracy is the only person in the bureaucracy who's allowed to advance is me. And I'm going to take the rest of you out. You can't advance above me, I am the one who gets advanced. So there's jealousy. There's this rampant jealousy amongst these other leaders. They look at Daniel and they say, we gotta take this guy out, man. He's gonna be put in charge. We're gonna lose our position. And so what they do is they look at Daniel and they start evaluating, where can we find him cooking the books? Where has he had sticky fingers? Where is he not following the rules? And when it comes to the the law in the kingdom, he is faultless. He has done everything exactly right. So this is really one of those things that I said at the very beginning of this series is how do we live as faithful believers in God in a foreign culture? And, and this is beginning to, to paint that picture again of Daniel is living in this pagan society and he's living faithfully to that society. He is not saying, I'm, I'm, you know, uh, I, I don't believe in these gods, I'm not gonna tax money and send it to him, I'm not gonna pay those taxes or something. He is faithful in the job that he's given But what we'll see is he's faithful to God first, and we'll come back to that. But I just want to point that out that they can't nail him because he's been faithful, he's been honest, he's been upright in everything. And so verse 5, then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. How are we going to trip him up? We're going to have to find a way which the law of his God conflicts with our law. And we'll, we'll push that to the forefront, and that's how we'll get him. That's how we'll take him out of this position. So Daniel is faithful, and they recognize this as a vulnerability. He is faithful first and foremost to his God. And since he's faithful to his God, he can be faithful within this pagan society, in the high court of this, this, this terrible position that, that Israel finds himself in, and he's faithful in it. But the, these guys recognize, I mean, this, there's a reason they got promoted, right? I mean, you don't go find just any bozo on the street and go, hey, want to be a satrap? You, you find the best and the brightest. These guys, we're going to learn, are not the brightest. <laughs> They're going to set themselves up bad. But they got something going on. They got something figured out. So if we can find a way to trip up Daniel with his law and our law, then we got him. So verse 6, then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of the lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Boy, are these guys politicians. Oh, king, live forever. You know, flattery, and oh, isn't it wonderful? Do this thing. So they come to Darius. It says they came by agreement. (laughs) That's not the best translation. It is actually they came thronging. (laughs) So I just, I picture these little toadies, you know, these little kind of weaselly guys who are going to come in and, oh, king, oh, yes, do this thing. Um, They came by throng to him. And they're going to try to convince him of this. So they start by flattering, O oh, King Darius, live forever. And, um, and then they lie, flat out lie. All the high officials of the kingdom, do you think Daniel was part of that group? No way, they're lying. All the, everybody, look, King, everybody says this. This is great. And then they say something that just really kind of flattens you, that for 30 days, nobody be, may pray to any God or man except for to you, O oh, King. Why on earth would you pray to a man? <laughs> and then why would the king think? Well, people should pray to me. I mean, this is that that idea that that will and ability, right? His will has been flattered. Does he really have the ability to answer everybody's prayer? Does he even have the ability to hear everybody's prayer? In that movie, have you ever seen that movie Bruce Almighty with um, Jim Carrey? Um, God gets God. Well, not God. Let's let's say. Um, what was the actor who played him? I can't, I just drew a blank. Morgan Freeman gets mad at him and says, will you be God for a while? And so he sits down and he st- starts to answer prayers and the, they just pile up. And so he just starts typing anything and, and weird stuff happens. That's what I picture with Darius here is you think you can hear everybody's prayer and respond to them? His, he's his got the, the will to receive this, but he doesn't have the ability. This is gonna fail miserably if he, if he pulls this off. So then they, they tell him, Establish the injunction. Make it a law. Write it down and sign that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians. So the Medes and the Persians, now remember, we have ended the Chaldean empire. That ended with Belshazzar and Nabonidus. They were gone, once they were gone, the, the Chaldeans are out, and now it's the Medes and the Persians. Well, we bring in this new culture, this Mede and Persian law, which means not even a king can change this. This is insoluble. Once it happens, it happens. And so verse 9, therefore King Darius signed the document and the injunction. Now, I don't think he was stupid. I think he was just blown away by listening to his own press. Oh, king. Oh, great king. He, he was so flattered that he, he went ahead and did it. So the trap is now set. They, they think they've got it, right? They have the will. They think they have the ability using the law of the Medes and Persians. We're ready to engage. Now let's get Daniel. Let's set this up. So what happens? Well, verse 10, when Daniel knew the document had been signed, it's law. When he knew the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. Now, one of the questions that comes up repeatedly is, Daniel, dude, couldn't you just leave the windows closed? (laughs) I mean, is your prayer going to be hindered because the shutters are closed? Couldn't couldn't you just do that? And and the answer is the last part of verse 10, as he had done previously. So I don't think Daniel was being belligerent or inviting scorn or anything. I think what he did was he said, I understand what the king has said. I do not plan to change my ways. My habit for all of these years while I've been in, in exile is three times a day to face Jerusalem and pray. So that's what he did because that was what he had previously done. He's not going to alter his course. So that's that next little piece of that puzzle. How do we live faithfully in a pagan society or in a a foreign land, if you will? Well, what you do is there are things that you will go along with the king on, and then there are things you say, I will not compromise on this. I'm not going to change the way I'm doing this just to make you happy. The other question is why why pray toward Jerusalem? Um, Why don't we, you know, this building is not facing Jerusalem because really I have no clue which way it is. But we're not facing Jerusalem, so why is Daniel facing Jerusalem? Well, what he's doing is he's actually honoring not the law, there was no law that said thou must pray to Jerusalem, um, but he's honoring a custom, something that had become a way of doing things in, in Israel. Actually, what it says is when, King Solomon built the temple to God. He built this big, huge, beautiful temple. And then he says this long, beautiful prayer. I love the part. He says, heaven and the highest heavens can't contain you. How, much, how, how am I going to fit you in this house that I built? So he recognizes that God is, is all surpassing. And then he goes on, uh, verses 46 through 50. He prays about, well, when we sin. He doesn't say if, but he says when we sin. And, and if you become angry and you send us into another land, Beginning in verse 40, 48, he says, If they, those who have been sinned and uh, uh, acted perversely and wickedly, and you sent them away, if they repent with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who carried them captive and pray to you toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen, and the house which I have built for your name, then here in heaven your dwelling place, their prayers and their plea, and maintain their cause. So what Solomon said was he was looking forward. He goes, I know they're going to mess up. And if you send them out, if you get them carried away into a foreign land, if they turn and they pray towards this house, toward this this temple that I've built, please hear from them. So that's why Daniel is doing it. He's looking at this and he's saying, even though the temple is in ruins right now, Nebuchadnezzar just trashed the place. But he's looking toward Jerusalem. He's going, Lord, that's where your house is. That's the house of prayer, and you'll hear when we pray from here. And so three times a day, he gets down and he prays toward Jerusalem. This is why Jesus was mad when the the money changers came in and took over. He entered the temple, and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. The temple was the house of prayer. That's why Daniel is facing it. He's looking toward that. And he's counting on God being there and hearing from heaven. So what we saw previously is that idea of bringing out the the goblets from the temple and worshiping false gods. What I'd said at that time was, we're that temple now. Jesus is building us into that temple. So that's why we don't have to face Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem isn't the heart of it anymore. Now the church is. And so we, we just pray. We pray where we're at. But for Daniel, that was what they had to do. That was what he had to do, was to look toward Jerusalem to pray. So Daniel continues on as he had. I'm not changing my pattern. I'm not doing anything different. Verse 11, then these men came by agreement. They came thronging again, the little toadies, weasley, you know. Oh, king. These men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. They knew exactly where to go. They knew his address. If we stand here, we'll look and we'll see him on his knees praying to his God, and then he's, we got him. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O oh, king, did you not sign an injunction that everyone, anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days except to you, O oh, king, shall be cast into the den of lions? So they don't start off with, ooh, guess what Daniel did. They start off with, don't forget, king, we've got you in our little clutches. Didn't you make this this law? And the king replies, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. That must have been a mantra. Whenever you said the law of the Medes and Persians, you had to add on to it, which cannot be revoked. So then they've got him. This is it. The trap is now closed. Then they answered and said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his position three times a day. They've got him. You see what they've done? The the trap is closed. We are now about to get rid of Daniel. He will no longer be a problem to us because we have wedged the king into a corner. He pays no attention to you, O king. He doesn't care what you say. He's going to do whatever he wants. He's one of the exiles from Judah. Remember, he's not even one of us I'm not even sure at this point who us is anymore because the kingdom has spread so far across the known world that who is us? The, the Babylonians were overtaken by Chaldeans. Chaldeans were now overtaken by the Medes and Persians. But whatever we is, he ain't. So he's not one of us. He, he's one of those exiles. And he prays to his own God and he's got these weird rules. So they think they've got him. This is it. We've got him cinched. There's no way out of this. The little tattletales come in an on on Daniel. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. The king understands what has just happened to him. Now, at this point, you've got to wonder, what were these clowns thinking? What happens after this, right? We get the king to execute the man he loves in the kingdom by tricking him, and then he's going to love us, promote us, I just can't think the king is going to look at him and go, oh, you guys were so slick, man, you really outfoxed me, man, good job. I'm thinking they're going to lose their heads one way or the other. So they think they've got him. The king, meanwhile, because he, he loves Daniel so much, because he's got so much respect for Daniel, he labored until the sun went down to rescue him. There's got to be a way out of this. So he calls in his lawyers, and he says, you guys, we've got to find a loophole. Is there any loophole in the, in the law of the Medes and the Persians that we can get out of this? And, and they can't. There's no way out. It's, it's ironclad. So he's stuck. They, they got him, and, and he doesn't have a choice. So he, he, they remind him, then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till dawn. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said, no, O king, that it's a law of the Medes and the Persians that no injection or ordinance from the king establishes can be changed. Brilliant move, let's rub a little salt in the king's wound while he's very upset and surely this will endear him to us. I mean, they, they are really pushing their luck with this guy. So they've gone and they reminded him again that it can't be changed. So what happens? Well, the king doesn't have a choice anymore. He, he realizes that he's been boxed in and then the king commanded and Daniel was brought in, this is verse 16, and cast into the den of lions. The t- king declared to Daniel, May your God, who you serve continually, deliver you. I couldn't. I tried, and I couldn't do it. They, the, the, the officials thought they had him because he was devoted to his God, so Darius says, may your God, who you serve, may he deliver you. So what Darius is saying is, I hope God wants to. I hope he's got the will to deliver you. That's, that's my desire, because I've done everything I can. My ability is gone. My hands are tied. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of his lord's, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. So they throw him into the lion's den. The king says, I hope your God can deliver you, and then they seal it. Can you imagine the feeling of King Darius watching that roll, that stone roll in front of that and funk? By the way, it says the, uh, the lion's den Um, The kids' drawings are always that little hole in the wall, and and you come in and out. What keeps the lions in the lion's den, if that's the case? (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) What what the word for for den there is actually the word for cistern. It's a big hole in the ground. So they would capture these lions, toss them in the hole in the ground, and then throw people and food down to them. So that's what's happened is they took Daniel, and they dropped him in the hole, and then they roll a stone over the hole, and the king seals it. Now, this is after he has been laboring all day trying to figure out there's got to be a loophole we can get him out of this. There's got to be a way to do it. And just to hear that, that stone thump as it falls in and then take off his signet and stick it in the wax on the, on the side and go, it's sealed. And, and his mental state was that he couldn't sleep that night. He, he, was, he went to his palace and he spent the night fasting. No diversion was brought to him and sleep fled from him. He's, he's torn up by what has just happened. Don't miss the parallel that this has to chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar builds a big, huge golden idol, and he says, everybody bow down and worship it. And when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say no, do you remember the words that were used there? His face changed. His color changed. He flew into a rage. He lost his mind because his order was not being kept. Now look at the, the opposite of that here. Darius winds up throwing Daniel into the lion's den. His order is kept, and he can't sleep. He can't can't even focus. He is fasting. He is so upset about it. The the parallel between the two is is striking. So he's up all night worrying about his friend Daniel. He didn't fly into a rage. He flew into a funk. He is just really broken up about this. So what happens? Verse 19, then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the lion's den. You can just see the king holding up his skirts and running out there. Oh my gosh, what happened? He runs to the den of lions. And as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. This man is really broken up. The king declared to Daniel, oh Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? So there's that will again. Will your God do it? Has he been able to do it? Does he have the will and the ability to do it? And he can't tell yet because the sun is just coming up. There's probably a deep shadow into the cave. And even if he gets the the stone out and looks down, he probably can't see the bottom. And so he's waiting. And then Daniel said to the king, looking into a den of lions, Daniel, did you get eaten? And all you hear is, oh, king, live forever. Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad to hear that, not because of me, but because of whose voice it is. O oh, King, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so that they might not harm me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O oh, King, I have done no harm. So even in the morning, Daniel is protesting in his innocence. Lord, I, King, I did not harm you by praying to my God. My prayer, the, the commandment I received from the prophet Jeremiah was that I was to pray for this city, pray for the benefit of this city. My king, I'm, I'm praying three times a day, not just for myself, not just for my people. I'm praying for you. I have done no harm to you, king, none. My prayers were not an offense to you. And so what happened was my God sent his angel and shut the mouth. Nebuchadnezzar, when he throws himself into this rage and pitches Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the faming furnace and he looks in, He sees four men, and one looks like the son of a god. Darius doesn't get to see this angel. He looks in, and he he can't see. He probably can't even see Daniel, but he hears, there was another one in here with me. And, And that extra person in the fiery furnace and this angel with Daniel represent God going in to the trial, into the den of lions, into the fiery furnace with his people. His presence is continually with them. So why was it Daniel was not eaten? Because God was continually with him. I have done no, I'm blameless before my God and before you. Then the king was exceedingly glad and he commanded Daniel be taken up out of the lion's den. Lower that rope in, Daniel sit down, haul him up you guys. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. No harm, there was not even a scratch. No no lion came up and pawed at him. It's kind of, ex- it's, it's exactly what would happened to Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Do you remember what they said when they came out? Their hair wasn't singed. The, their clothes weren't damaged. They didn't even smell like fire. So I'm going to assume that Daniel didn't smell like a lion. <laughs> I don't think it's too far of a leap. He came out totally protected, totally insulated. And it says he was taken up out of the den. No harm was found on him. Why? Because he had trusted in his God. Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, um, Darius said, is your God willing and is he able to deliver you? And what Daniel said is, my God is able and he's willing. And he did. He trusted. Whatever God does here is going to be right. It's the right thing that's going to happen. He had continually trusted in God because he didn't, he didn't start trusting him when he got thrown into the lion's den. It wasn't like on the way down, he's like, oh, maybe I better trust God now. This was a pattern of his life. This was, Remember, this is why the the other toadies, the other officials looked at him and said, that's the only way we're going to catch him out is because he's so devoted to his God. So the, re- the resolution, the picture of it is we see him in the lion's den saved because he had continually trusted in his God. God had the will and the ability to do it. It, it reminded me again of Psalm 115 verse two, or chapter, verses 2 and 3. Who sh- why should the nation say, where is their God? Isn't that exactly what's going on? the the um the officials are saying where is his god verse 3 our god is in the heavens he does as he pleases he has the will and he has the ability he does as he pleases john piper commented on this he said god is never constrained to do a thing that he displeases or he despises he is never backed into a corner where only, his only recourse is to do something he hates to do He does whatever he pleases, and therefore, in some sense, he has pleasure in all that he does. It was God's pleasure to deliver Daniel from the lion's den. Darius didn't understand Daniel's God. He thought he was like his own. Remember in uh, chapter 5, those idols of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, and wood, which do not see or know or hear? They have no will. They have no ability. They just sit on a shelf and look pretty as long as you keep them dusted and polished, but otherwise they just sit on the shelf and look pretty. They can't exercise their will. So the very nature of their religion is that you have to manipulate those things because they don't have a will of their own. You had to come in and offer a sacrifice or do this ritual to try to manipulate them into caring for you. And that's Darius' theology as he's looking at God, but now he's learned a very important lesson. This is not what Yahweh is like. He's not like that in any way, shape, or form. He does all that he desires. Whatever pleases him, he does. He is free. There's nothing restraining him, No, no limit on what he can do. And so the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the dens, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. They haven't even hit the bottom of the den, and the lions are coming up to get them. They were starving. They said, I can't imagine what that looked like. These starving lions are sitting around Daniel, and Daniel's just sitting there waiting, because the angel held him at bay. But as soon as he's removed and the bad guys are thrown in, the lions snap to it and they get their breakfast. So he he's he's thrown them in, and they have been devoured. Have you ever heard that term "hoist on his own petard"? You never heard that? I've heard it a number of times. Let me read it. It's from Hamlet. Um, the the scene is. Hamlet is about to be sent to England. Uh, two of his high school friends, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, are gonna take him there, and the plan is he's gonna go to England and be executed. That, that's where he's supposed to go to die. So this is his, his saying. He says, they bear the mandate. They must sweep my way and marshal me to knavery. Let it work, for tis the sport to have the engineer hoist with his own petard. And it shall, be, and it shall go hard, but I will delve one yard below their minds and blow them at the moon so what what on earth does that mean (laughs) shakespeare is so confusing so what he means is they bear the mandate the king has given them a letter saying take hamlet to england and let him be killed there they must sweep the way they're going to have to prepare that trip for me to get to england and they'll marshal me towards knavery knavery is the underhanded deviousness let it work He's, he's like let it happen for tis sport to have the engineer hoist on his own petard. The engineer, we think of an engineer as, you know, like somebody driving a train or, or designing something. In, in warfare in those days, that was not an engineer. An engineer was somebody who dealt with the mechanics of war. And so what, it, what he says is, let the engineer be hoist on his own petard. Hoist, in our use of English, is a present tense verb. Hoist the sail, right? Haul it up. In Shakespeare's day, it was a past tense. Let them be hoist on. So this was a past tense verb. Hoist meant to be raised up, lifted up. Uh, Let them be hoist with their own petard. What on earth is a petard? (laughs) What? It was basically a metal can full of um, gunpowder. And so the engineer would be charged to take the petard, rush up to the city gate, or the fortress, or whatever it was, Light the fuse and run away and let it blow up and open a hole so that the army could get in. Well, this was back in the old days. They weren't so great with with, uh, gunpowder. So occasionally these fuses would go a lot faster than they intended. And the imagery here is that this engineer would run forward, light the fuse, and as he's turning to run, the, the petard would explode and he'd go flying in the air. So that's what he means. Let them be hoist on their own petard. Let these guys be caught with their own trap. The very thing that they're trying to um, use to take me out, let them be caught with that. And that's what's happened to them. They think, they look at Daniel and they think, we got him. His only weakness is prayer. He won't pray to anybody but his God. We've got him. What was Daniel's greatest strength? His prayer. So they thought that they could just, you know, trick him into praying in a way that wouldn't be approved, and they got him. And in reality, what happens is he prays, and they lose. They were hoisted on their own petard. They, the, the, the scheme that they devised blew up in their face, literally. Not literally, I guess. Lions don't blow up. On a good day, lions don't blow up, but they do eat your bones. So what happens? Well, Darius gets it. He understands then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall, never, or, um, his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and he rescues, he works signs and wonders in heavens on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Do you hear what he just said? This God exercises his will without restraint. His kingdom is to the ends of the earth. His kingdom is the exercise of his will. It is how he does it, and he has the ability. He works signs and wonders. So the the way this all fits together is really pretty ironic. Uh, One of the commentators explained it this way. He said, there is irony in the fact that the conspirators think they have found Daniel's weakness when they find him praying to God, while prayer is his greatest strength. There is also irony in the king signing a law that seems to elevate him to semi-divine status, while in fact, it forces him to do what he does not want to do. He attempted to claim absolute power. His attempt to claim absolute power makes him a puppet of officials and a dupe of his own law. Darius had presumed that he had the power to hear and answer prayers. But in the end, he spends the night fasting and praying. Fasting is a form of prayer. Darius had the desire to deliver Daniel, but he could never find the ability to do it. The advisors had the will to destroy Daniel, but they believed they had the ability through the law that constrained that the law uh, on the king but it failed. What Darius and his advisors didn't consider is that God is willing and able to deliver Daniel from the lions and from the people and his people from captors. And that's, why, that's where it comes to us. This is where we need to engage with this. Is God willing and able to deliver you from your foes? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He has delivered you because he has the will He has the desire to send his son and he has the ability because Jesus is the only one who could bear our sins. He has the will and the ability to deliver us from foes we could never touch. There was no way in the law of the Medes and Persians for us to get away from that. God came in and he found a way. He used his will to find a way to get us out. So the the point here is not be Daniel in the lion's den, although be Daniel in the lion's den. The point here is be Daniel in that you recognize your God will act according to his good pleasure, however it works, in whatever instances. As Daniel is being dragged to the lion's den, as the announcement has been made, does he doubt that his God could deliver him? I I keep hearing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying, look, our God can deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we're not gonna do this. And Daniel, I think, has got that same attitude. My God can deliver me, and even if he doesn't, I'm not gonna stop praying to him, because I know that my God has the ability to work throughout the world. Now, the the chapter ends. So this Daniel prospered through the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Um, There is a whole bunch to be said right here and I feel it would really ruin the sermon so I'm gonna hold off. Uh, We need to understand who Darius and and Cyrus are and we'll hold off on that until I think his first mention is chapter nine. So we won't bother with that. Um, But Daniel continued to prosper. Did he get devoured by lions? Did he get, lose his position in the kingdom? God was faithful to him. Darius adored him. And it seems like, since he mentions the, the reign of Darius and Cyrus, he was promoted and, and ruled in the nation. Exactly what was said at the beginning. So that comes back to that idea, do you have the will and the ability? Is, is the will and the ability present? In us, it's God who works to will and to work. So sometimes our will is not so spot on and we certainly lack ability to do some of these things. But what we do have the will and can have the will and the ability to do is to trust God in the midst of these situations, to be faithful, to be like Daniel in this instance and say, I'm not looking to myself. I'm not looking to my own ability. I'm looking to my God who can and will if it's his good pleasure. And what if he doesn't? I'm still looking to my God because he will act according to his good pleasure, what's right and what's good. And so that's, that's, I think, the lesson of Daniel in the lion's den. Um, the little cuddly, furry animals that you get in, you know, Sunday school lessons and stuff. They're really cute and everything. Um, it, it's not so much about Daniel. It's about the God he served. The God he served was faithful to him. And that's, that's where he needed to go. That's where we need to be, to be watching out for what he's up to. Let's pray. Lord, um, thank you that you have the will and you have the ability to deliver us. That, Lord, we don't have to work it out for ourselves. This is the meaning of justification by faith alone is our God has done it. All he's asking us to do is to trust him. And so, Lord, um, as we look around the world and we see the church in prosperous nations, uh, living large, um, Lord, I pray that it would be your will and your desire to make your church faithful in those situations. And, Lord, in places like the Middle East, um, in, in Syria, and in some of the uh, um, African nations, in North Korea, uh, in China, where the church is oppressed and, and opposed and abu- brutalized and abused. Lord, I pray that you would, in your will, be working in the lives of your saints there to keep them faithful to you. And Lord, across the globe, as we look, whatever situation your church is in, would you cause her to grow Would you cause your church to trust in you and to see that the kingdoms of this world come and go. They're here today and gone tomorrow, but Lord, there is a kingdom coming. There's a kingdom already at work in the world that will never fade. And help us to put our trust in that kingdom. We ask in Christ's name, amen.